What's up, Accelerators? Welcome to Normalize It, the show where we speak about and explore the business of disability inclusion and accessibility. I'm your host, Cam Baudouin, and on each episode, I'll be interviewing leaders, professionals, and people with lived experiences, and we'll be discussing the challenges, successes, and strategies on how to make this world a more inclusive place. As you know, many organizations are still trying to figure out disability inclusion through a trial and error method. That's inefficient. Stick around to the end of the show to find out how we can fix that. So whether you're an advocate, entrepreneur, business owner, stakeholder, VP, or just someone who's interested in the world of disability inclusion, this show is for you. Let's dive into it. Today, we've got a really, really great show. I can't wait to jump into this topic. Amanda, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me here today. I'm really thrilled to be here. Self-advocacy is something that is so important to us as advocates, uh, to people with disabilities, to people who don't recognize they have disabilities. It's just to everyone. How do we affect change in our communities, uh, in our organizations, in our lives, uh, in a way that stems from ourselves? And I'm very passionate about this topic as well. But maybe you could give us a baseline. When, when you think of self-advocacy, what does that mean? What's your experience in it? Let's, let's just start with what you think about it. Mm, um... You know, it's, it's a very broad question, but self-advocacy for me, you know, comes with so many different layers. Um, it starts with who you are, you know, as a person, what your disability is. Are you deaf? Are you hard of hearing? Are you deaf blind? What kind of communication access do you need? What are your accommodations? And also, do you feel confident to speak up? you know, to ask for what you need. And also, do you know all of the resources that are available to you? (laughs) There are so many different people um, who learn about resources, right? As they take training and they start to realize that they have access to resources right there and they've been there all along, they just didn't know. And once you learn about disability law, and understand how that applies to certain situations. For example, a job interview. You have a right to ask for an accommodation during a job interview. Or if you go to the doctor's, a doctor's appointment, you can ask for a sign language interpreter. You know, people do say no. It is true when you ask. You know, even though it's against the law to deny a person access to their services, Yet it still happens everywhere, really, every day and every minute of the day. So our goal is to really uplift people, to have their confidence, to know that they can ask and they can navigate barriers to those communication access, communication access effectively. And it's not only on the individual with the disability. It takes a community sometimes to advocate. And so I guess that's my uh, short version of what I think self-advocacy is. That's a very short version because even the word self-advocacy, I think you said the golden word there, which is confidence. And to me, that's kind of where it all comes from. And confidence is built upon minor and smaller successes over, over time. If you've had success in requesting um, accommodations in one scenario, then you can bring that 
success to, to another scenario. And I, and I see it as well with advocates who are working inside organizations and trying to say, build an accessibility program or something like that. And if they see it done well in one organization, if they see it done well in one department, it's easier to come and say, well, they're doing it well. Why can't you do it? Right? So I think confidence is built and is learned over time, but what's your process in starting to build confidence with people? Cause I think that's a really big topic. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think the key is providing people the space to really put out there and share their frustrations, their experiences of being oppressed uh, by hearing society. Um, I've learned that when we give space to allow people to really speak about their, their painful points, we're showing them that they are being heard and listened to. And then we could start doing different activities during training to help build that confidence from there. Each individual has their own story, their own frustrations, how they feel about themselves, and their feelings are valid. Mm -hmm. And it is so important that trainings are guided by the person who has a lived experience as a deaf or a deaf blind or a hard of hearing individual or a person with a disability, depending on which group we're teaching to, mm-hmm. you know, so that you have a shared experience between the presenter and the audience, right? So that people can feel that they're relatable and also that they could validate their feelings and experiences. We're not here to tell them that they're wrong for feeling certain ways. They have a right to be frustrated. You know, especially when sometimes some situations, you know, where they are only given access to lip reading, you know, that can lead to more frustration because lip reading itself is not entirely accessible. Only 30% of English, the English language, is, is able to be seen on the lips. And not everyone is an expert or a skilled uh, lip reader. So when we teach that information about disability law during that training, I see the confidence start to build. Mm-hmm. The more you know, the, least you're, the less you're afraid. We have to understand also there are different ways to navigate a system to get access to communication. You know, the better you feel about yourself and the more you network and you meet others that have similar experiences, it becomes a really rich and powerful feeling. One thing I want to share with you a story. Um, I was three. I'll never forget the story. My parents uh, were with me, maybe other family members too. And we went to McDonald's. And I love their burgers and also their juice. And so I, you know, went to stand in line with my dad and I, you know, would always tell my dad what I wanted. And I said, I want a cheeseburger and an orange juice. And my dad looks down at me and he says, why are you telling me? I don't work here at McDonald's. You, you go tell the people what you want. You order for yourself. I was three. I mean, I'm profoundly deaf, a profoundly deaf three-year-old. I mean, no one could understand when I speak, right? No one understood my speech. Right. You know, I only could use my signs. 
And so I was like, no, 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 no. I told my dad, no, because I didn't have that confidence. But with just a little bit of a nudge, a little bit of a push, you know, he was like, you could do this. Go ahead. You got this. And my dad is hearing and new sign. And that's how he communicated with me. And so he's signing to me saying, you could do this. And then I see this woman behind the counter, you know, just waiting to greet me, right? Ready to take my order. And I start walking up and my breath becomes shallow. And, you know, I went ahead and I signed to her. You know, I signed, I, this is what I signed. I want a cheeseburger, but she doesn't know sign language. And an and orange juice, signed mm-hmm. an orange juice. And then she starts to type in the order. And I was like, oh, and my confidence skyrocketed. Yeah. And then I realized much later, I learned something. Uh, my mom was voicing behind me and interpreting without me seeing her sign. <laughs> and so the point was, I mean, you get the idea of, of, of what the goal was, right? And then ever after that, I just started talking with everybody in sign language. Yeah. I just walk around, I mean, literally, I'd go up to people and I, I'd meet them and I would just start signing to them. And, you know, I just expected everyone would understand my sign. And people were, were always surprised, you know, taking a little bit of back with my confidence. Yeah. You know, I really think that's the key to building confidence. You know, in children, you start early as possible, you know, to give them those experiences and those confidences. First of all, I love that story. Thank you so much for sharing that story. That is, I have so many ideas because some of what you're saying is that confidence can even come from us as youth and it's brought you know, it's brought into our future. Like we, we're, I don't want to say we're born with it because I truly believe that confidence can be taught and confidence can be learned. And it's it's a muscle like anything else. We can learn it over time. And these small experiences will help build our confidence. And I, I think this is a big issue in our in our industry right now. There's a lot of there's a lot of people with lived experiences, without lived experiences, champions who are trying to do things and being told no all the time. You can't do that. You know, uh, stay in your corner, um, um, be smaller than who you are. It's starting to really weigh on us as an industry because the whole area of um, I'm going to say diversity, equity and inclusion, because we are in the space, I believe, of of trying to change the world for the better. And I think there's a whole fatigue that's going on right now and we're losing confidence more than anyone else. So I guess my question to you is, how do you, how do you start to teach people confidence, especially people who don't have an experience that's you know, so great like your own with two, first off, supportive parents or a supportive team behind you? Where, where do you even start with that? Basically, I, I believe that you start with accepting your identity as a person with a disability, whether that's hard of hearing or deaf or deaf blind. And really everyone has their own experience, you know, their own struggles. And we need that support system. We need allies. We need support from the community. And from there, you know, especially if we can start them young, you know, this is why that training is so important. You know, I've never heard anyone ever complain after taking a self-advocacy training. Everybody talks about how it really benefits them. You know, the training itself, we talk a lot about different types of accommodations. People who are hard of hearing don't realize that there are many different tools available to them. 
different assistive technologies that are available that are you know ready and that you know the, the disability laws do protect you the more you know the more confidence you could build from there and it doesn't happen overnight it took me years and years to get fully confident you know to know that i deserve to take up space in our world you know in today's day and age and you know i have a right to make my own decisions i i can affect change you know it's just sometimes i also have to remind myself that yes i can do it and it's important you know that we tap into those tools those support systems and build relationships with your community you know, and from there, everything will start to top, fall into place. But we don't live in a perfect world. Not everything will always be gravy. So I think we have those three main points, though, that I touched upon, you know, to really help build confidence. Three things that really contribute. Um, also that we have to acknowledge is societal barriers, such as attitude from the community, um, it's not always positive, right? Um, the second, second is accommodations. And the third is inclusion. Those three things, basically most, most of the most important things is that hearing society starts to understand those things. For example, Attitude. You know, the misconception that deaf people are not able to do a job, you know, that they're doing. All it takes is, is just an accommodation, a few minor things to get there. And are you providing access? You know, are you showing that you are inclusive in your employment? Have you hired employees or invited people to happy hours? to social events, you know, after work, have you included the deaf people in those components too? You know, if you're at a conference, you know, are you saying, Hey, do you want to come to this conference too? There are different ways that you could be inclusive of the deaf and hard of hearing and deaf blind folks um, in our society. So starting with, it starts with an attitude, adding the accommodations and then viewing it as inclusion. Your whole comment around giving space or maintaining space or holding space for people, I think is something that advocates do but maybe we don't even realize that we're doing it and it is so critical to what our role is in society or in an organization or in what we do a lot of people don't talk about that what is holding space and what is giving space for people i think that one thing that we all need to realize is that when we are in an organization and we're sitting in a meeting room and when we pause the meeting to give attention to somebody who is not able to speak or communicate or is feeling forgotten or unheard, that's giving space. To me, that's giving space. And I've been in those situations before where, and especially us, us in the accessibility space, we tend to bring people with disabilities or, or, or if, who are with communication barriers to our meetings. And we're the ones who have to say, whoa, I think somebody over here has something to say. And that is so critically important because those are the building blocks that we learn from over time. And those are the steps that 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 will build confidence in ourselves and in others as well. Do, do you have anything to add to that? Mm -hmm. 
I think it's a great question and I'm so glad you asked it. One vital thing that many people forget is when you're at a round table, when it comes to decision-making, mm-hmm. make sure that you budget for interpreter costs right. because that's one thing that's often forgotten. The law impacts deaf and hard of hearing people, um, but often people don't include deaf blind or deaf or deaf or hard of hearing people in those decisions. And it's so vital to invite them to the table. You know, invite deaf blind, deaf, hard of hearing people to the table. You know, um, maybe there's a board that serves to make certain decisions. You want to have them at the table wherever decisions are being made. Right. Right. When a law or a bill is being passed, you know, we have to consider, are you considering deaf and hard of hearing people? You want to make sure, you know, that you include the idea of captioning and interpreters, but that's not enough. When you consider deaf and hard of hearing, sometimes, well, not sometimes, really, I highly recommend um, that you include them instead of assuming what is best for them, right? You don't want to assume what's best for deaf, deaf blind, or the hard of hearing community. Invite them in, have a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. Aid them too for their time. I get asked all the time to do stuff you know, for free, free consultation. It's constantly the word free is coming up. And you know, I'd be out of a job. You know, yeah. the point is is that all of us have something to contribute. And if we have, you know you know, limited job opportunities involve deaf people to, you know, come to the table to figure out how to create job opportunities, how to figure out a solution. Deaf, deafblind people, we have a strong network in our community. Oh, yeah. And so I, I really think, you know, when you involve us, that's when change can happen. That's when change will happen. I already see it, you know, even even so far in my journey. And and see, you know, that's why I kind of dismiss the question around, oh, it's going to cost too much. I think that there's a knee-jerk reaction that happens from leaders or your boss or whoever is inside that room when they say, oh, we can't or we don't have budget for that. Or, you know, when you talked about bringing an interpreter or or captioner for uh, for a meeting or something like that. And I think that we need to get more comfortable with starting that question, you know, three weeks ago before the meeting even happens. Because if we start saying, hey, let's you know get a captioner in 30 minutes before, we haven't thought about it early enough. And I think that, again, those of us who are advocates, specialists or champions for accessibility, that's a conversation. Hey, we know there's an all hands meeting in June for our, our mid-year you know, uh, all hands meeting. Great. What are we going to do to bring in an interpreter for that meeting? What are we going to do to uh, to accommodate for people who are deaf or hard of hearing? What are we going to do to accommodate for like, what's the space like for people who are uh, have mobility issues? And I think that, you know, anytime there's a there's a quick response that me that tells me internally that we I haven't tried uh, or, or I haven't started the conversation early enough. And I think that's really big. I, um, I agree with you, you know, often we're forgotten, right? We're overlooked, we're unheard. And believe me when I say deaf, hard of hearing and deaf blind people are, have been screaming for access for a long time and have been dismissed. 
you know, or pushed aside. For example, um, in my training, when I'm teaching youth, you know, let's say deaf seniors, you have a group of deaf seniors, you know, and we were teaching about how we work with interpreters. And there was one student who um, did disclose and share that they really did struggle with giving feedback, telling the interpreters, hey, I'm having a hard time understanding you. Mm -hmm. Because when they did, the interpreter's response was to blast them out. You know, how dare you criticize me as the interpreter? Wow. And in that situation, when that happened, you know, I, you just realize it happens everywhere, mm -hmm. right? Interpreters have control of access to communication. And it's not the deaf student's fault. You know, that's our opportunity to build confidence to them, to teach the students, one, it's not your fault that you can't understand the interpreter. And it's not your fault at all. There's nothing wrong with you. You actually deserve to have access to communication. And if you don't understand um, that interpreter or you need different style of signing, you can ask for a different interpreter. You can, you know, you can ask for those things and we can start to talk about strategies and talking about how to fix that access, whatever the problem is that's happening, you know? And so self-advocacy starts to teach students that, oh, I didn't know I could actually change interpreters. I didn't know that I could ask to replace the interpreter, you know? Oh, I can tell my parents and they can start to, that process for me. It's teaching those tools, those strategies, you know, and from there, students and youth start to feel better. They start to feel, know that they will be okay in the future, you know, and not be stuck with unqualified interpreters. You know, that's not access. Unqualified interpreters is not access. Quality of communication access is vital. Their education is important. The quality of communication that happens there is so important. Yeah. That interpreter is a, a language model that could determine so many different things in your future. You know, how you take care of your body when you go to the doctor's office, or even also, you know, you know, it could also affect, you know, your medical diagnosis Absolutely. too. quality of communication. I mean, can you imagine how many times unqualified interpreters are interpreting during a doctor's appointment? I bet. Yeah. And, you know, they end up getting the wrong medication. I mean, if you think about the repercussions, you know, when it comes to qualified or unqualified interpreters. That, that's really amazing. I want to hear more about tactics and strategies. I want to talk about this a bit more. But we talked about... Uh, or you mentioned things like strategies and tactics, and you would bring up, uh, you brought up things like uh, asking for accommodations and changing interpreters. I think that's that's really, really big. Um, maybe you could, we could just pick up from there, and I've got a couple more questions for you as well. What do you advise to people uh, more than what you just said? Every situation is different. Every situation um, is impacted by the individual, who mm -hmm. the person is. Are they hard of hearing? Um, you know, one thing that hard of hearing people face is the misconception. For example, my husband is hard of hearing. He has two uh, cochlear implants. Mm -hmm. And also he communicates using sign language as well, as well as spoken English. So he goes back and forth between the two modalities. He might, let's say, go to a training but he has a hard time maybe understanding uh, certain interpreters. And then he has to let the coordinator know, you know, I'd rather not use interpreters. I'd rather um, use captioning. 
Mm-hmm. That act in and of itself um, is it does not always happen. People who have a hearing loss or who are deaf or deafblind typically um, have a hard time finding out who I can ask for that accommodation. What kind of accommodation do I need in order to get access to communication? How does that work? You know, if I'm denied, what do I do at that point? Who can I talk with in order to get support? And so that's where my job kind of comes in. Mm -hmm. We provide support to people who are feeling lost after they've maybe been denied access to captioning services. They'll reach out to us, to our agency, to the company, Access Vine. They'll reach out to us in order to get support. And that's where we jump in. You know, we jump in as advocates. We'll reach out to that organization and we'll let them know, hey, you know, we have some resources for you that are available to you and your company. So for example, Texas Health and Human Services, the Office for Deaf and Hard of Hearing Services, they have resource specialists, a resource specialist program. And also they have what we call a communication access uh, specialist for a one-time event meaning maybe a conference is happening. Let's say it's happening in the state of Texas. They could reach out to the Office for Deaf and Hard of Hearing Services and request uh, support in terms of funding for interpreter services or funding for captioning services for these one-time events. The point is, is that we're here as a support to all people, corporations, organizations, governmental agencies, You know, that might be an example of how you can involve an advocate. Let's say um, there's an outside party, you know, and you're trying to negotiate. It's important that you know that you have a team behind you that's going to support you through those negotiations. And so what about with um, like private organizations as well? So large organizations, um, will often have somebody on call who is a good interpreter, uh, but that doesn't always work for someone like what we've just interpreted. How would you advise to somebody who calls you or your office uh, in that situation where an organization or a company is unable or unwilling to, maybe they have a contract with a certain interpreting uh, company or you know they've procured a, a service that isn't quite fitting. How would you advise or, or you know help somebody in that situation? I don't see this um, happen often enough. Okay. That a private company has a contract with an interpreter, an interpreting agency. It doesn't happen often enough. It should, though. It should. However, um, in that situation, we would provide them with a list of different interpreter agencies in that area, in that region, that are available to them. And then they're responsible to cover the cost for the interpreter agency. And if that business earns uh, less than $1 million, my understanding is that they can get up to 50% tax credit for the cost of the accommodations they're providing. That's great to know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Um, I can share that information as well. But it, it could be a tax credit. And also, the more that they understand 
about the ADA, the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. And another one too, that maybe people aren't aware of is the ACA 1557, the Affordability Care Act, section 1557. That's for any services that are under health and human services, meaning they have to comply with inclusivity, people with disabilities, really everybody. Now, Amanda, just before we go into our end show here, I want to ask you, like, this is obviously really, really important to you, the whole idea of self-advocacy. Where does where does that come from? Why, why is this so important to you? You know that quote? I don't, uh, maybe you can help me. I'm, I feel like I'm losing some of the words uh, for the quote, but you see someone how to fish. It's regarding, you know, if you help somebody, fish, right? Is that it? And then you give them the fish, they get to eat for one day. But if you teach them, right, if you won't, if you just give them a fish compared to if you teach them, then they can eat forever, right? Right. That kind of applies to self-advocacy for me. You know, you teach children and youth, you know, adults as well, how to advocate for themselves because there are so many organizations and businesses out there. And I encourage everybody, you know, whoever is representing business, whether it's a government agency or any other service, please listen to the deaf and hard of hearing and deaf blind person who's asking for access. Please listen and ask if you don't know, just ask them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll help you find services, whether that be captioning or interpreters. And if the person doesn't know where to find those resources, reach out to the Office for Deaf and Hard of Hearing Services in your state. Most states do have that office. Or contact us at Access Vine. Remember, self-advocacy is critical. And it should be involved in curriculum from the get-go. You know, from the onset of hearing loss all the way through you know, until, until we're in the ground. See, that's really big to me because I feel like, you know, you, you said teach a man to fish and they give a person a fish, they eat for a day, teach them to fish and they feed themselves for life. That's the one. Thank you. Thank you, Kristen. Perfect. I perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to write it up. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I, I just wanted to add, I'm sorry. For yeah, please. Uh, but, but regarding this quote, you know, so many kids, have access to, you know, in school, but they're not actually um, part of the asking process. You know, they're just accustomed to having an interpreter in a classroom Mm -hmm. or having captioning in the classroom or having assistive technology um, in the classroom. You know, it's already worked out for them by their parents or by their teachers or administration. But when they graduate Mm -hmm. and they leave that school and they go to college or they go to the workforce, all of a sudden they realize, oh, I'm on my own now, right, right. you know, and I don't know how to do this process. I don't know, you know, how to get an interpreter. I've always been just been given one. And so that happens everywhere. And so school is where we need to prepare the students for when they transition out of high school into the college arena or into whatever work, work, you know, work site they're going to or career, they have to realize how they ask for those kind of things. Right. And that includes deaf 
deaf, hard of hearing, hard of hearing folks and deafblind folks. We need to start teaching them before they transition out. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I'm having a similar conversation with my son right now. He's, he's eight. And you know, at that point in life where he's starting to realize that, you know, real, what is self-identity and things like that. And I, I talk to him quite frequently about being an active player in his own life right? Like you have to be at, like, you're in the driver's seat of your life. And I think teaching those skills as early as possible for, for many people, no matter what your abilities are, is uh, am I the active role in my life? Am I the one who's going to advocate for myself when I need something? Do I raise my hand and I ask for it? And in so many areas in life, we don't ask for what we want. We instead wait for somebody to either give it to us, or we sit in frustration for too long. And I don't, I don't want to see that for my community. I don't want to see it for my son. I don't want to see that for anybody. I want to I want to be an active role in my life and I want to be an active role and I want to teach people to be active roles in their lives. If there's something that needs to be changed, feel empowered to change it. Feel empowered to make the difference and feel empowered to to own that change. So I think that's what we're ta- really talking about here. Amanda, we are a little bit over time right now and I love it. Like I said, we could have this conversation forever. First off, what's the one takeaway that you want listeners to remember about today's conversation? If you are a person with a disability, remember you, you deserve to take up space. You own your life. Don't let anyone tell you any different. You deserve access. Period, period, end of story. And for people who don't have a disability, please include us in the decision-making. Please listen to us when a person asks for access. If you don't know, it's okay, it's okay. Ask for help. Wasn't that a great episode? You probably have lots of new ideas swirling through your head right now. Now, how are you gonna go and teach that to your boss, your team, or your clients? You need a strategy to move forward. Contact me today, hi at cambodwine.com, and let's talk about how we can move this forward in your organization or individual practice. If you could right now, like and subscribe to this show, it really does help grow our reach to get more people involved and interested in disability inclusion and making the world a more inclusive place. And don't forget, you can also watch this show live on LinkedIn. Just find me there. It's every Friday at noon Eastern. See you next week.